This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We welcome you to this special day of worship this Easter Sunday at First Presbyterian Church. It is in this resurrection day that we see that God has gifted us with love, hope, joy, peace, light, and is bigger than anything that might seek to threaten us or do us harm. I'm Danny. And I'm Connie. And we invite you in to shelter with us on this Easter morning. Y'all come on in. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-aged wine strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that is cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. Then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all faces, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Mark 16, 1-8 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Solon bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. They were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is a place they lay him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went on and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Come to the Easter party by Ann Weems. I think on Easter morning, we should throw confetti in church. No? How about a little fanfare? Or a deafening drum roll? Or a three-minute standing ovation? What? Have we had the drum beaten out of us that we in this celebrative community can't get excited about the aliveness of God and God's unconditional love for us? Have we given Easter up to the lily bears, the bunny rabbits, and the patent leather shoes? Let's be honest. We don't live as if we believe in Easter. Easter scares us. Because we are the people that can't believe that God has given us abundant life. We think we have to earn it. But Easter says it has already been paid.
Easter says, no matter how prodigal, we can go home again. So let's celebrate that amazing grace that in Christ's resurrection, we still are loved even at our most outrageous. The Lord has provided us the music. All we need do is dance it. Come to the Easter party. Well, you've come. Congratulations. Great to see everybody. This is our Easter party, our day of days as Christians, as followers of Christ, or for whatever reason you're here or who, whatever you believe. You are a part of our celebration today. Easter is at the core of who we are as Christians. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. And so today we do indeed celebrate. So what does this Christian party ask of us? What does it demand of us? What does it mean? Well, let's start with Scripture. The Scripture that Cam read from Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. Often we hear at funerals, memorial services. Why? Because it's great. It's great imagery. It is on this mountain where the fest, the feast of all of these rich foods and all of these wines will take place. And God will swallow up death forever. That Isaiah passage is often placed with our Easter resurrection text for that reason. One of the functional results of Christ being raised is that death has been swallowed up forever. So let's take a look at Mark's account. But before, when last we left Jesus, if you were here with us last week on Palm Sunday, Jesus was entering in the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was the culmination of his ministry to that point. Many times when Jesus would do signs and wonders, he would say, shh, don't tell anybody yet. I'm not ready. Well, he's throwing the doors open. This is the end. What we call Passion Week, Holy Week, begins last week. He comes in on a donkey to show that he is humble, that he is a bringer of peace. And he is sticking his finger in the eye of the Romans that he threatens and the Jewish temple structure that he threatens. No longer is he saying, shh, don't let anybody know. He is open and they are making a royal procession for him, which could have placed their lives in jeopardy as well. They would have arrested Jesus then, but they were afraid because so many were gathered in Jerusalem for Passover that it would start a riot. So throughout the week, Jesus is teaching. He's coming and going, turns over the tables, curses the fig tree, other teachings before we get to Thursday, which we know as Maundy Thursday. That is the command. That is the last supper. Jesus commanded them to take the bread and drink the wine and do this in remembrance of me. 
And in John's gospel, he also commanded them to wash one another's feet. And in our Monday Thursday service this week, we celebrated communion and we washed each other's feet. And in Good Friday, we heard five first-person accounts of biblical characters who were there and interacted with the crucifixion in their own way. And remember, when they took his body from the cross, it was near sunset on Friday, the beginning of their Sabbath time. They couldn't touch dead bodies. They couldn't deal with any of that stuff. So Jesus had to be quickly placed in the tomb, sealed, and then they had to come back Sunday morning to finish preparing his body because they were running out of time on Friday. So the women are coming to the tomb and their state of mind, as we know, is not good. They are not expecting a resurrection. Remember, all of Jesus' friends, all of Jesus' disciples, all of Jesus' family, everybody or anybody who followed him or saw him do anything, who thought he might have been who he said he was, that Son of God, that Messiah, now broken, destroyed, because he was dead. The Messiah couldn't die. The Messiah didn't come to die on a cross. The Messiah came in power to push out the occupiers, the Romans. So clearly, they had bet wrong. They gave their lives up to that point to this man. They gave up their jobs and their family, and they traveled with him, and it was all for naught because he died. And they're still trying to deal with that. When they get to the tomb, again, to finish dressing his body, Women say, gosh, how are we going to roll away the stone? Probably should have worked that out ahead of time. But by the time they got there, it was open. And the angel there said, he's not here. He has been raised. I'm paraphrasing. He has gone ahead to Galilee. As he told you, go ahead and meet him there. Go back and tell the disciples and Peter. I don't know why Peter wasn't included in the disciples, poor Peter. But go back and tell them he will meet you in Galilee. And at the end of Mark's account, that's where we end it. They were told he had been raised, but they didn't see him. If you remember in John's account and in others, Mary comes, Mary Magdalene, and Jesus is right there after the angel speaks. They think he's the gardener and she doesn't recognize him until he calls her name and then she recognizes him. And then he says, go back and tell the others. That doesn't happen here. They don't see Jesus raised. They are told by the angel and they are so perplexed. They are silenced. They are in terror, and they are amazed. And so they don't tell anybody anything. That's the original ending in Mark's gospel. There's been a second place later, we believe, that puts a little more, a neater bow on what the other 
disciples write in their accounts about how that time ended. But if we take that Mark passage, they went away silently, dot, dot, dot. And did what? Did they really not say anything to anybody? He wasn't there. They saw an angel. That's not something to smirk at. But the terror and the fear overwhelmed them. So what does it mean for us? You know the story. You've been here before. Two very simple things. One is that I think we know just as they did how to prepare for death to a certain degree. Right? If somebody dies, we have people help us, whether it's a funeral home or our church family or others. There are institutions and people that help us deal with it. We don't want it. We don't like it. But we kind of know that when death happens, this is what happened. They would have known the same thing. That's exactly what the women were doing. They knew what to do with the dead body. They knew they had to come back and finish. They had planned for his death and his body. But then the question becomes, did they plan for the resurrection like he told them? And the answer is no. How do we plan for the resurrection? There's a story about a couple and the wife's father-in-law that go with them. The three of them go on a trip to the Holy Land. And doggone it, wouldn't you know it, the father-in-law dies. Now, he was always cantankerous, never really got along with his daughter-in-law very well. It was sad, but they were trying to figure out what to do with the arrangements. And the funeral home there in the Middle East said, well, we can, we can do one of two things. You can pay $5,000 and send him home that way, or you can pay $150 and we can bury him here. And so she thinks for a minute, and she says, you know what, we're going to pay $5,000 to send him back to the United States. And he said, why, why in the world would you do that? when you could pay 150 and we could just bury him here. Perfectly acceptable cemetery. She said, sir, 2,000 years ago, there was a man who was buried here and three days after he died, he rose from the dead. I'm not willing to take that chance. Planning for death and resurrection. And really the short answer is you don't plan for resurrection, you respond to it. We respond to the gift of love that came through Christ both on the cross and then on this Easter morning. We respond to the gift of love through Christ when he was born an infant, the way he grew and taught and healed and reconciled people to him, to God. Christ is God's unaltered gift of love to us. And we respond to that. Our journey is not about following out of fear, not out of hell insurance, not out of a wrathful God, but to respond to the gift of love 
from an intimate God that seeks to walk in your life and all of us and bring us into the next. It's a miracle. I wasn't there. Don't have a video. But we have documentation for a variety of people who were there. And would it not have been so, why would the disciples have given their lives after he ascended? We know from extra biblical writings that at least a handful of the disciples we know existed. They had nothing to gain by lying or making this up. There was no monetary gain. There was no political gain. They put themselves and their family in jeopardy from the Romans and the Jewish temple authorities. There was nothing to be gained. Why did they do it? Because they saw him. Because the resurrection did indeed happen, and that's what allowed them to give their lives to Christ and then do what they did moving forward. But it's a miracle. We're not good at miracles. Because we think we're being taken advantage of and we don't want to seem stupid. But is resurrection and miracles outside of the realm of how God operates? Not really. Look at creation. Every season, God changes creation. If you look at winter, everything seems dead and brittle and dark and bleak. And then in the spring, sun comes and the waters come and the flowers bloom and the trees bloom again. Resurrection and recreation are a part of God's character as it is with Christ. It is miraculous. The beloved preacher and author, theologian Barbara Brown Taylor talks about a time when she was a child she was a tomboy. She liked to play outside in the woods. And she would bring home and lay out on her bed those large flakes of mica. You know what I'm talking about? Those kind of mirror-looking rocks that you find in the, in the mountains. She would bring what she called buckeyes home and spread them out on her bed. Bluebird feathers, even sometimes some bird bones. But her favorite were the cicada shells. And those 17-year locusts, y'all know what I'm talking about? I remember growing up in Houston, they would just be stuck to the tree. This empty shell, you look, is something in there? Nope. It looks like a perfect representation of that bug, but it's just a shell. And she said this reminded her of how a miracle had happened. Because something new was created in that dead and old skin. A neat slit was in the back of every one of these crunchy shells. She would often take them and put them on her sweater when she went to school and scare the popular girls, she would say, or put it in her hair. That seemed to bring her satisfaction. But it was a symbol to her that something new came out with new eyes and new claws and new wings and flew out and left that old shell there. It happened to Christ and we are called to do the same. So number one, it is 
to respond with your life and live it in gratitude. Christ has assured our salvation, knocked out what we couldn't, that is death. We don't die when we end this life. It is the beginning of the next, like these butterflies. Number two, so what does it look like to live our lives with gratitude to God for what God has given us for salvation in this life now? And I know sometimes salvation is hard, that eternal life with God, it can seem so far away, and I hope it is for all of us, hard to wrap our mind around that Isaiah passage again tells us on that mountain, it'll be a celebration, a feast. It's where we want to be. But what that looks like is the second point. We live life out of gratitude, but we also live in solidarity with others. Solidarity is kind of a political word, but it means that we see people in need and we do our best to help them. Our offering today will be taken to benefit the Thornwell Children's Home in Clinton, South Carolina. That is one way that we are in solidarity with those families, that staff, as they seek to make broken lives whole. If you look at a church family, if you have a tragedy, the church family is there in solidarity with you. They didn't have a tragedy in their lives, but they are with you and you are not alone. Solidarity extends out. It is an extension of the foot washing that Christ did with the disciples where he said the greatest commandment is to love one another as I have loved you. That's what it looks like. Solidarity goes out from these walls into the community and into the world. For example, 53 years ago today, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated. April 4th, 1968. Lorraine Motel, Memphis. He was there for a sanitation worker strike. He was with the lowly of the low, to be there in solidarity with them. He wasn't one of them, but he saw them and he recognized them and he talked to them and he prayed with them and he gave them dignity when they would have been on the bottom of the social rung. Reminded me in some ways of Jesus' birth when the shepherds were there. The lowest of the low in that socioeconomic system and they were the first ones to see Christ. And these garbage workers saw Christ in the eyes of Dr. King, who treated them as human beings in solidarity with them. So my simple question to you is, who are you being called to be in solidarity with today? And who do you need to be in solidarity with today? you. We're not meant to walk this life alone. We are given one another as a gift. And when we try to do it on our own, we will not succeed. We will not grow. We can reach a level 
of relationship with Christ, but Christianity is a family journey. So as we move forward today, salvation and solidarity, living your life out of thanks for the love that God has shown in the resurrected Christ, and then washing the feet of the world in solidarity. This is our call. This is how we respond. And this is how we live this party. So let's celebrate that amazing grace, that resurrection in Christ, where we still are loved no matter how outrageous we are. The Lord has given us the music. All we need do is dance it. So come to the Easter party. Hallelujah. Amen.